I want to start out with a question tonight. Has somebody ever been just a talking to you and you weren't really listening to what they were saying? Wives, don't look at your husbands right now. I want to I investigate a little bit. Why is that sometimes we don't really listen carefully? Sometimes it's because we're in the middle of something and we don't want to lose our focus, do we? We want to finish that thought, finish that thing that we're doing before we lose it. Sometimes it's because we're just simply stressed and distracted. Sometimes it's because of who the messenger is. And to kind of illustrate this, and I'm just using this as an illustration. If some of you heard a news report from Fox News or Newsmax, some of you would immediately tune it out. On the other hand, some of us, if we heard reports from CNN or MSNBC, we would already automatically discount it then. Or perhaps you're in the presence of somebody that's just a know-it-all. And they're pontificating on all this stuff that they know, and you just tune them out. Or then there's the other extreme where there's somebody that's not very educated. And so you think, well, what do they know? In ear, one ear and out the other. Lots of times it's different things. Sometimes we don't listen to the message because we're preoccupied with other things and don't consider what that person is saying to be important enough to let it interrupt our train of thought or what we're doing. Sometimes we don't listen to a message because we just don't trust or believe in the messenger. Sometimes we don't listen to a message because we don't think that person really knows what they're talking about, right? And sometimes we don't listen to a message because we think that we're smarter or more enlightened than the other person. And sometimes we don't listen to a message because we've heard it over and over and over again. How many of you parents or grandparents have told the same story more than once to where your kids or grandchildren are like, we've already heard that one 10,000 gazillion times. You been there? Christmas is kind of that way. Many of us have heard this message over and over and over and over again. But as we think about these different categories that I've just described, maybe you're in one of them, perhaps. Maybe you're here because you were pressured to come by a spouse or a parent, but you really, truthfully, would rather be someplace else. Or perhaps you're here simply because it's a family tradition and you want to be here with the family, even though you've already walked away from your Christian upbringing. Or perhaps you're here because you enjoy the beautiful candlelight service. And you just enjoy being with other people at a special time of the year. Or perhaps you're here to remember the Christmas story, to hear it once again, even though you've heard it time and time again. Regardless of why you're here tonight, you might as well indulge me for the next few minutes while you're here. As we consider the Christmas message once again, and I just want to tell you the three things that I'm talking about tonight right off the bat. We'll come out of the gate. It's very, very simple. We need to probe the claims of Christmas, ponder the message and meaning of Christmas, and praise God for the gift of Christmas. First of all, probing the claims of Christmas. Think about the shepherds when we go back to that story. 
in Luke chapter 2. They're out there minding their own business when suddenly a heavenly host of angels greets them and proclaiming and worshiping, if you will. They say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now let's consider this a little bit. The shepherds were minding their own business, doing their thing in the fields, and suddenly they're interrupted by all these angels. And they tell them that the Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. This message, if it is true, mind you, had huge ramifications, not just for them, but for the whole world. To simply ignore that news and go on as if nothing happened and get on with life was not an option for them. They had to investigate the claims about what the angels were telling them. I was reading the other day about here in America, we're living in a time and a place where many people are not thinking about anyone or anything beyond this earth. In a, a year ago, Gregory Smith of the Pew Research Center noted this in his article. Listen carefully because you can get lost in the statistics, but I'm just going to try and simplify it. From 2007 to 2021, the number of Americans who self-identified as Christians dropped from 78 to 63%. Whereas the number of Americans who had no affiliation, religiously speaking, grew by 13% from 16% to 29%. In other words, nearly 3 in 10 Americans today consider themselves to be atheists, agnostics, or, quote, nothing in particular. That might be some of you here tonight. To put this in perspective, with, everybody recognizes that the culture is changing drastically, but to help put it in perspective, in 2007, there were five self-identified Christians for every person with no religious affiliation. In 2021, there were only two self-identified Christians for every one person with no religious affiliation. That's a shift of seismic proportions as each number one gets greater and the other gets smaller. Kathy Lynn Grossman was the co-researcher of the well-known 2008 American Religious Identification Survey and she had a 2009 article for USA Today where she made this observation. Think about what she's saying. Folks are quote not thinking about religion and rejecting it they're not thinking about it at all. Folks are, quote, not thinking about religion and rejecting it. They're not thinking about it at all. 
In other words, people are not probing the claims of Christmas, much less Christ. With that in mind, I want to ask tonight, have you given some thought to what the angels said about Jesus? I mean, really listen to the words they're using. How much have you thought about Christ's claims about himself and his offer of eternal life? How much have you given thought to the implications if if the words of Christ and the story of Christmas are true, and these words are true, how much thought have you given, what are the implications for your life? Not just here on this earth, but throughout all eternity. It's huge. The shepherds made their way to Bethlehem and searched for the Christ child. Don't gloss over this. Because I think we get the impression they walked straight to him. No. No. They had to go find him. Bethlehem wasn't the biggest town, but it was bustling with a lot of people who were in because of the census. They would have had to ask people, I would imagine. They would have had to probably knock on some doors. Hey, we're looking for a child that's lying in a manger. Have you, you heard anything about that? Have you seen anything about that? I guarantee you probably they had to go around at least for 30 minutes, an hour or more, unless there was a miraculous angel saying, right this way. I don't think that was happening. I think they were working hard. They had to invest significant time and energy and work into finding the Christ child. You ever played hide and go seek and you couldn't find that last person? Man, a town filled with people in because of the census. I mean, there was no room in the inn, remember? I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. Because their example, I think, reflects the spirit of what he's saying here. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now I've said this several times before, but in case you haven't been here, the Greek, the the verb tense right here indicates a continuous action. There's a knock at the door. If there's not an answer, there's another knock at the door. And another knock at the door. You keep asking and you keep seeking. When you keep on asking and you keep on seeking and you keep on knocking, Jesus says, you will find. How many people have prayed in the pinch, Lord, if you're real, if you're really there, do this for me. And if he doesn't oblige in our time and our way that we want him to do it, we hang up on him and we give up. That's not how you find him. You keep hungering and thirsting for him. You ever been so thirsty that you couldn't get enough water? That's what he's describing right here. We used to cheer when I was in the band. You got to want it. Who win it? And we want it bad. How bad do you want it? If you're looking half-heartedly or, or largely disengaged, sometimes God out of His grace will just knock the door down in a certain sense, if you will. But 
if we're not looking, we're not going to find him. If we're not asking, and I'm telling you, as I reflected on this today, just like those shepherds going around looking for answers, I'm still at times looking for answers. I'm constantly asking and knocking and seeking. That's what Christ is describing. That's what the shepherds did. They probed the angel's claim about the Christ child. And they found them just as the angels had said. In all their excitement, they started spreading the news, if you'll remember the story, where they started telling everything about it, all the great things the angels had said to them. Now, as we remember the shepherds back in biblical times, it had been easy for people just to dismiss them. Remember what I was talking about earlier? The shepherds were not very educated. (laughs) What do they know? Superstitious people. People could have written them off because they were not educated. They didn't have a lot of influence or social status to make anybody want to listen to them. But people did hear, at least in some circles, and the scripture says they were amazed at what the angels were saying. And that's an appropriate response, but that's, if that's where your response stops to the Christmas story and to Christ, if it doesn't go any further than amazement, you will never grasp its full significance. Nor will it ever deeply, deeply impact your life. Lots of people came to Jesus for his miracles. And they probably heard he was a great orator and a teacher. And they flocked to him. But they didn't become Christ followers. It takes more. Some of those that saw those miracles even rejected him later, if you'll remember. And this brings us to the second point this morning. First, we need to probe the claims of Christmas. Secondly, we need to ponder the message and meaning of Christmas. Mary heard what the shepherds were saying. And in verse 19 of chapter 2, it's there that we read Mary's response. says, She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Pondered. What does it mean to ponder something? Think long and hard about it. Mary thought long and hard about what those shepherds had said. One of the first things I think that probably went through Mary's mind as she was pondering is she was comparing what the angels had said to them to what Gabriel had said to her nine months earlier. I bet she's like, I'm wondering how those things connect. Because they do connect. I bet she thought long and hard about how all this fit into God's overall plan. I'm sure she knew some of the scriptures and how the Messiah was, had been talked about. And all. She invested time in considering its overall meaning, and she reflected on what kind of impact it would have, not only upon her, because it was going to affect her greatly, but it was going to impact her whole family and the world. She pondered it. Many of us today think we have heard it all, because we've heard the Christmas story over and over again. 
We've heard about the Ten Commandments, even though most of us probably couldn't name all ten. We've heard over and over again, and we think we know more, really, than we ultimately do. If our knowledge of the scriptures of Noah and the ark is where we remembered all the little animals happily prancing into the ark two by two, if that's where, oh my goodness, there's so much more in there. That is a heavy, heavy story, an account of what happened. We need to take time to ponder and reflect. Think about the scriptures. Think about what they say about Jesus. The scriptures make a certain about Jesus. And, what, and, and we think sometimes we, we know what it means to worship him and follow him. But if we only have a shallow, shallow knowledge, we don't know. We don't know the depths of what it means to follow him. Our faith and practice sometimes... I don't think we're even aware of it, is influenced more by our own ideas and the world's ideas than it is the truth found in here. The deeper our understanding of the Christmas story and the scriptures, the deeper our understanding of Christ and what it means to follow him. How many times have we casually listened to a spouse (laughs) and we missed details that would have helped us out later? I'll raise my hand. (laughs) How many times has someone been giving instructions on how to do something that we've never done before and we didn't take the time to listen carefully and we paid for it later? How much more important are the claims of Christmas and Christ? They're too big for us to simply give them a quick and casual listen once, twice, two or three times a year. It warrants our attention, but it also pleads to us to ponder them and their impact upon our earthly and eternal lives. And that brings us to the third We probe the claims of Christmas. We ponder the message and meaning of Christmas. Thirdly, we praise God for the gift of Christmas. The account in Luke chapter 2 ends this way with the shepherds. It says they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. When God reveals himself to us, as he did through Jesus, as he does through his word, as he does in so many other ways, if we're looking for him, if we're asking, seeking, and knocking, and we respond in faith and trust in him, we can't help but to praise him. We can't help but to worship him. When we realize that God revealed himself to us through his son by humbling himself as a baby, not just a baby, but a baby lying in a manger, a food trough for animals, by dying on a cross, a humiliating death, a shameful death, so that he could give his life for our sin, 
when we recognize that he rose from the grave in order to secure our hope for eternal life. And we recognize his ascension up into heaven to his throne in all his glory. When we really grasp all of that, we can't help but to honor him and revere him as our Savior, Lord and Master and benevolent King who cares deeply about us. He's revealing himself to us here tonight, believe it or not. That's what that table's all about. If you don't know what we mean by the Lord's Supper or communion here in the church, Jesus left a meal in the night before he died for us to do in his memory, to point toward his return one day. But it's a meal that allows us to grasp just a glimpse of his love for us. See, Jesus didn't just humble himself in that manger. But we're told in the scripture that he gave his life. And this meal represents his body when the bread is being broken, his body broken for us. And the grape juice and the wine represents his blood that was shed for our forgiveness. Both things that we desperately need. And I believe his presence is here in a special way tonight. You don't have a meal without sitting down with the person to eat the meal. You don't invite them unless you're there with them. I believe he's here tonight. And for all of us who know him and follow him, we may not always get it perfect and exactly right, but we repent and come back and seek his spirit to do it right the next time. We invite you to come and join in this meal. If you haven't yet become a Christ follower and you would like to do so, I'm just going to say a short little prayer here in a minute. If you're ready to ask Jesus into your heart and you're sincere, we will welcome you in joining us in this meal. Let us pray. Lord God, for all of us here tonight, we come humbly here recognizing we are in your presence. The God who humbled himself, who gave his life, and reigns on the throne right now and has everything under your control even though sometimes we struggle to grasp how you do so. And Lord, for those who are here in our midst tonight who have been going through life and they've known something is missing as Blaise Pascal said many years ago, we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart and only you can fill it. For anyone here tonight, Lord, who is seeking and wanting to begin a journey to know you more, I just pray that they can pray along with me right now in their heart. Father, I confess that I have sinned. I have thought and done things that I shouldn't. And I have failed to think and do some of the things that I should have. I recognize in your word that it says the wages of sin is death. And I want to invite Jesus into my heart as my Savior. Who died in my place so that I and the world could be forgiven.
And I recognize his resurrection and the hope of eternal life that he has secured for me. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my heart to help me follow you and recognize you as my Lord and Master for the rest of my life. Lord, we all join our hearts and we say, we are yours. Thank you for paying the price for all that we enjoy in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This bread represents Christ's body that was broken for me and for you. Take and eat. This cup represents Christ's blood that was shed for me and for you. Take and drink. Heavenly Father, we come and once again give you thanks for not just a simple piece of bread and wine or grape juice, but a bread and a wine that symbolized the awesome sacrifice that was made through your Son. In a world where so many people are only looking after themselves. It's amazing to think that we have a Father in Heaven who cares enough to look upon us out of all this vast universe and to care for each and every one of us personally so much that you were willing to give so much. We pray, Lord, as we are in the season of gift giving right now, Lord, that we can remember that the giving continues throughout the year. The giving of glory to you the representing you and giving to others just as you have sacrificially given to us. We pray, Lord, that we will honor Jesus, not just through our praise and our worship, but through the offering of our lives for him as he gave his life for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs> 